I had a wonderful Christmas present. Well, I had many Christmas presents, but I had a, a Christmas present from my father-in-law who always says, you're the most difficult person to buy anything for because you keep telling everybody you have everything. And um, I, I just don't really like getting presents. But anyway, uh, he sent me a um, new edition of Life on Earth because, of course, last year, uh, 19, uh, 2019, was the 40th anniversary of Life on Earth. And um, <clears throat> I have the original Life on Earth book, probably like a lot of people. And, of course, that book accompanied the first big blockbuster series that um, Attenborough did, and that's visit. He's done many since, and in fact, you've been involved, and I know you've worked with him. But I was delighted to get this book, which is um, a reissuing of the Life on Earth book with uh, new text from Attenborough updating and new photographs and all the rest of it. And I have it here sitting on my desk, and of course, the nerd that I am, I have my original copy that I bought and signed um, 9th of February um, 1979 on top of it, and I was saying to my father-in-law, the significance of this is very great for me because I was studying uh, my A-level biology at the time when this series came out, um, and it actually inspired me to go on to university and study zoology. Um, I mean, it's a great book. You, you probably have it yourself, do you? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I've got the original copy. I didn't. I wasn't aware the new one was out. That's great. Um, yeah. What a good. What a good idea to update that. Yes. I mean. You know, David Attenborough is, you know, an icon, obviously. Uh, he did inspire me as well. I was doing my A-levels at the time, I remember, and our biology teacher used the um, films, a recording on a, must have been an old beta machine yeah. in those days, um, and showed us all the uh, episodes. And I was amazed by the photography. I was amazed by the detail of his knowledge and the and the beginnings of life that he described and going right up to the famous scene with the um gorillas the mountain gorillas in in one of the later episodes yes uh, and, yeah anyway there you go i never dreamed that i would be working with him but no, um and i'm sure he was good. an amazing guy to work with he is he's still going i mean god i mean he's about um 93 now and you know really fit it seems uh able to do a really good voiceover still uh isn't that extraordinary yes i think uh or um, amongst the sequences that you've worked with them on blue planet 2 did you work with them on the big blue wheel sequence actually on blue planet one that was the although at that time it, we didn't know we were going to make a second edition but blue planet uh the first series i was uh, i did i filmed the blue whales um in fact i was in the field for you know this is how it works i was in the field for about 30 days uh filming blue whales in baja california which is a story in itself but um then we joined him for just three days in san francisco in half moon bay where there was also some researchers studying blue whales because as you understand they go up and down the that coast and there's that wonderfully timed sequence where he's on a little zodiac and um he's doing his piece to camera and just on cue <laughs> almost like a cartoon there the blue whale comes to the surface to uh, take a big gasp of breath it was just spectacular Yes, I, I was in the boat. I was in the boat uh, looking over at the camera uh, at him when that happened. And it, yeah, it was a great moment. Although I have to say, uh, you know, San Francisco is a great naval base as well. And um, so uh, later in the day, because we've been talking about the size of these things, and they are the biggest animal ever lived, apparently, the blue whale. But a submarine surfaced right behind us in a similar fashion. <laughs> Humongous. I mean, it was it was like a big black wall had come out of the sea. And uh, 
you know, uh, uh, our, our man-made things are even bigger. Yeah. Well, you mentioned um, the famous sequence from the original Life on Earth series with um, David Attenborough uh, and the gorillas. And there's another connection with me and this book on Life on Earth and the series. And in fact, the producer of that particular sequence is named with John Sparks. You know him, John. He, he went on to become the head of the Naturalist Unit and a great producer in his own right. But after I had studied zoology, trained with the BBC, and then was sitting doing my PhD in Reading, it was John Sparks that I wrote to um, in the Natural History Unit, a very cheeky letter saying that, you know, he needed to interview me, and um, I had listened to all his radio output and thought I could do better. But um, it was uh, John Sparks who, who produced that series on the on the gorillas, and when I – he actually – granted me an audience and said, this is such a cheeky letter, come down and see me. Um, and uh, the first thing we discussed was uh, was Life on Earth, the gorillas, and it was just fascinating to to listen to somebody. I mean, we're talking now, you know, 35, 35 um, uh, or so years ago, and uh, at that stage, it, it was the start of, of the BBC being able to, and television in general, being able to open up the natural world to viewers like you and I who sat back and had travelled probably very little. I mean, it was really spectacular. It was wonderful to just sit and listen to him and all his adventures. And eventually, uh, thankfully, he gave me the job. Yeah, that was extraordinary. You know, once in a lifetime, those sort of things happen. And I think we should encourage other people, if they're younger as well, to to uh, just be a little bit cheeky sometimes and see what you can do. Yeah. And we have done a podcast on that. and We'll get that out uh, at some stage where... Uh, you and I are both asked or frequently, you know, how did you get in there and how do you do it and all the rest of it. We've done a little podcast on that and we'll get that up at some stage. So, um, okay. Well, uh, now, John, up to, um, any, any resolutions this year for yourself? Well, I, you know, all the usual stuff about getting fit. Um, <laughs> talking about David Attenborough living till 90, 94. Well, not, not even just functioning really well at 94. Yes. Um, I, I intend to do a David Attenborough, but who knows? <laughs> Good man. So you, I know you have another big project coming up this year. Are you able to talk about it? Um, yeah, in general terms, it's about, uh, melting in the, uh, mountains and, and how the glaciers are, um, you know, uh, disappearing. Well, they're, yeah, they're disappearing. They reckon perhaps a third in the next 50 years will, will disappear. Uh, we don't really understand the process fully, but it's something to do with climate change. And where will that take you, John, around the world? Mainly in China, um, and Nepal, uh, the, the, basically the third pole, which is the, um, the, 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 the largest store of fresh water, uh, outside the, North and South Pole is in the mountains, of course, uh, and the biggest mountains in the world are the Himalayas. It, there's 35,000 glaciers there, which is uh, over the, all the countries of the Himalayas and uh, supplies 2 billion people with fresh water across Asia, uh, going into India, 10 major rivers, you know, so rivers like the Indus go into India and then the, the Mekong uh, goes south and then across China, you get the yellow river and you get the the yangtze which um you know one of the well m among the longest rivers in the world at about about four thousand miles the yangtze goes out to shanghai uh so it goes right across china uh very important you sound so sanguine about it all though john so there you are sitting in your study in the back garden which i've been in a lovely little cabin and <laughs> surrounded by your wildlife books and you're planning this is in england and you're planning obviously a big trip around 
major glaciers in China, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, you must be excited by the prospect of that. I know it'll oh, be, yeah. I know it'll be hard work, but you must be excited. Well, it goes back to that thing we were talking about in, in 1979, watching uh, life on earth and, and never really imagining that you could do something like that, you know, uh, it, that it was just for other people and that, um, you know, people's, uh, lives, um, were special who were able to do that. And, and, uh, you know, I, people say they're privileged, which always irritates me a bit. <laughs> I don't know why but in wildlife filmmaking, I think it's guess cause like, you know, I'd love to go and do that. Um, and um, I am privileged and, and, um, but with that comes responsibility that you have to make something that's honest and truthful and interesting and, and, uh, uh, and, and spend people's money wisely. You know, there you go. So that's, (laughs) that's the party line, I suppose. But on the other hand, I think it's true. Yes. But obviously it's going to be an environmental film about the effects of global warming and climate change. Will you be looking though for key species? Yes, we will. But, um, it, it, that's the thing is, is you've got to balance that. It's very depressing to, to hear about how the earth is degrading under humanity's influence. And you've got to find ways that give hope and inspiration and ways to m- maybe change and at least take notice of what's happening, you know? Um, so yeah, there's lots of different species we'll be looking at. Of course, some of the key species will be things like the snow leopard. Um, and, um, there's a lot of high altitude species. It's quite surprising that the, the, the animals can live, uh, at 4,000 meters, um, and more, um, in the snow. Uh, there's a species, a new, a newly discovered really in, in the nineties called the snub nosed monkey. Um, there's several different versions of it, but the, the one I'm thinking of has got a white face with a black ruff around it and, and very thick red lips. You'd have thought it was called the red lipped monkey, but actually it's got a, a, a very flat nose, uh, almost just the nostrils in its face. And, um, that's why it's called the snub nose monkey. And they live at over 4,000 meters and, uh, they eat, um, lichen in the winter. That's all they eat, which is the little sort of green growths growing on trees. Um, and a very sort of fragile existence they have. They huddle together like penguins, uh, yes. to keep warm, warm. And so they've got those, some sort of adaptions that are, uh, similar to to penguins living in the Antarctic, you know, yeah. which is extraordinary for primates. Isn't it amazing how species just, you know, adapt and then hone in? I mean, imagine having a diet solely based on lichens. Well, it is in the winter, I think. I think they eat something more in the, in, in the summer, but that's just to get them okay. by in the winter. But yeah, yes, yes. Uh, I, I think, in, by the way, that this idea... Um, I remember some of my school friends when I came back from university, I mentioned this word called monophagus, which is, or monophagus, which uh, they laughed at me for being so highfalutin' about it. But uh, it basically means eating one, only one type of food. And, yeah. and pandas are supposed to do that. The, uh, the, the classic Chinese panda are supposed to only eat bamboo, but it turns out that they eat other things as well. Yeah. I mean, related to bamboo, but you know, it's, I doubt really whether any animal just eats one thing, you know, it wouldn't be a particularly good strategy. Maybe I, I could be proved wrong, but now, now uh, you know, I want you to be honest here. So, are you going to be able to link your um, resolution to get fitter with uh, climbing to the dizzy heights to film the glaciers and the species, or are you going to sit at the bottom of the walkie-talkie and send a, a very fit camera person up to chase the sequences? Well, it's got to be said there are people a lot fitter than me. <laughs> But, uh, but uh, I'm wary of that actually. I need, I need to get a bit fitter, but also you need to acclimatize. I was just watching a really good series on, um, Amazon. I think it is. It's the Everest, uh, which is about, um, 
how a group of four people summit Everest. And uh, it's actually a series of about six episodes hour long. And it really goes through all the detail about uh, acclimatizing and, and what it does to your body. And uh, a couple of guys go without oxygen to the top of Everest and, and uh, they, they are really in pain, you know. Yes. And we're not talking about heights like that. That's over 8,000 meters. We're talking perhaps of heights up to or over 4,000 meters, which is still high enough, you know. Um, yeah, so it's not for the, not for the faint hearted and, and, um, I'm, I'm aware of my limitations. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, look, good luck with that, John. And maybe we'll be able to do some podcasts while you're actually on location. It would be good to talk to you and maybe chart it if your employers allow you to do that. I think, I think to be honest, the way, the way that I know things go, um, that usually doesn't happen until they're broadcast because of obvious reasons of, um, confidentiality. Know, confidentiality i signed so many ndas nowadays and um yes. non-disclosure agreements yes. um i did one for it just for an interview for the bbc the other day and uh i wouldn't have minded except they didn't tell me anything i didn't know you know yeah exactly <laughs> well sure let's see anyway we'll be able to talk about yeah. it at some stage yeah, yeah. and i look forward yeah, yeah. to that. we will so, yeah just before we talk about um uh, continuing our series of of interesting and varied uh, sea creatures, and and uh, we have one that is particularly well. I would use the word ugly. You might use the word beautiful. But before we get to that, one thing that I'm going to do, and my resolution this year is to get myself much more involved. And I've already set up um, a project with a, a friend of mine who is a photographer, um, and he's not he's not a natural history photographer. He's just a photographer, and his expertise actually is in old-fashioned wet plate collodion photography so the big old cameras where you ha actually have to treat the the glass plate with a with a certain chemical and he produces some wonderful black wow. and white black and white and sepia uh, photographs which can then be reprinted so we're collaborating on um, a very small idea of mine which is um, I, I walk a lot on a beach very close to me called Ross Class Beach it's um, where the mountains of Mourne and County Down sweep down to the sea in that old song and when I walk along that beach after a, a big stormy day and in fact I'm looking at my study the minute the Irish see that's it's a stormy day but you know yourself uh, along the beach it just throws up all kinds of interesting and weird stuff pollutants sadly uh, although not too many around um, this particular beach because it's a blue flag beach so it doesn't seem to get a lot of pollutants which is wonderful but um, you know you could just find amazing stuff so uh, my idea is to take three or four or five or six things that I beachcomb um, and uh, for uh, my friend to photograph them in his own inimitable and unique way, maybe a close-up of a part of a, a, a crab's claw or, in fact, as I was walking just before Christmas, I came across um, the skeleton um, more or less decomposed of a of a harbour porpoise, and um, so I, I have the, the 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 backbone of that with some skin attached, and you know I can just imagine what kind of photography he'd produce with that. And then so we'll do a little bit of writing about. Well, I'll do a little bit of writing just about the species, one sentence of of where it comes from or some of its biology, and then a little line of uh, poetry that I'm hoping to compose, and we put it together as an arts uh, natural history project, and I'm really looking forward to that. Might get a little pamphlet published or we might get a little exhibition out of it so i'm really looking forward to that that's utterly brilliant that's fantastic um 
I don't know whether you've got the copyrights, but if if you want to do some little pieces for Induna, the uh, Marine Channel that I have uh, on YouTube, then um, let's let's put it up on there. Well, I'll have the copyright because I'm I'm writing it, so it'll it'll be mine. So that'll be great, John. We'll look forward to collaborating.